You are in the ring with Hector Galon, seven-time national boxing champion turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the U.S. In the Ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and is produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Colon. Hello, 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 and welcome to In the Ring with Hector Colon, the show that gets real about the challenges facing the social services sector. Here's the bottom line for our sector. Pay is not commensurate to the value our colleagues provide society. The complexity and the challenges of the people we serve needs new or enhanced service delivery models, and the viability of our sector is in jeopardy. It's not a fair fight. That's why this year we're going to address these challenges with individuals who want to get into the ring with me. As my coach Shorty used to say, let's go, champ. In the ring with me today is Kathy Marklin. Kathy serves as the executive director of WAFCA, which is the Wisconsin Association for Family and Children Agencies. WAFCA represents 50 organizations providing foster care, counseling, crisis intervention to more than 20,000 individuals annually. They bring a unified voice with their members advocating for effective and responsive services. Prior to WAFCA, Kathy served as a public policy voice for Wisconsin's Roman Catholic bishops on a wide range of issues, including health care, welfare reform, and services to the vulnerable. Kathy, thank you so much for being here today. I view you as a great communicator, a connector, and convener. Welcome. Thank you so much, Hector. It's just such a pleasure to be with you today and have this opportunity to have a conversation about the challenges that our sector is facing. Thank you. Thank you so much. So are you ready for round one? I think I am. Tell us a little bit about your organization, uh, its mission, and who are your partners, and what is the value you provide them? Sure. So um, the Wisconsin Association of Family and Children's Agencies has been around for just over 40 years. Our member agencies, as you identified, provide a wide array of child and family services. Um, really, at the core of our, of our delivery is a belief in the family system and that healing comes through late relationship. So. Um, really f- across the full continuum of services, um, you'll, you'll find our members present, um, whether it be home visiting services to counseling services to residential care and more intensive mental health treatment services. Um, our members are in collaboration with public partners delivering those services. Um, so when you talk about partners, well, we're partners with one another. And so really, um, um, one of the joys of working with, um, within the human services sector and with our membership is that they are great collaborators with one another and really partner and, and try to complement each other in the service delivery that they provide um, across the state of Wisconsin. In terms of our public sector partners, I think this is the unique factor that sometimes people don't appreciate about our, our sector, right? We have this we are private agencies, both nonprofit and for-profit represented in our organization, but many nonprofits um, that are providing these services in concert with our government partners. So really government is our primary um, primary partner and who we work with, that we are delivering those services directly on behalf of government um, and stepping in 
and supporting and in many instances subsidizing those services with donor and foundation dollars and through grants that we're able to derive um, through our own um, auspices. So there's there's a great um, synergy between the two when we work well together um, and that that um, that expectation, those shared understanding of what it is that we are going to deliver on behalf of those that were that were chartered with serving, right? Um, that we have we have strong missions, we have strong independent missions um, as individual organizations and then collectively through WAFCA, we really come together to to share that in a unified voice as you identified that that's really where our strength comes from as an organization to be able to provide for that singular voice and advocacy on behalf of our sector, which is frequently misunderstood, I think. Um, you know, that sense of nonprofit meaning not no profit. Um, and that in, in essence, what we really need is to be um, to be so supported in a way that we're able to support a workforce that's delivering quality service. Thank you so much, Kathy. And as a, um, a member of your association, I, I see the benefits uh, from your leadership, as well as the, the great collaboration we have with so many great organizations that are in Wisconsin. So thank, thankful that we are a part uh, of your organization. My next question is, who is WAFCA most concerned about today? So that's a really good question. Um, I would say, you know, Here's what, what gets at the root of when we think about our service delivery. So much of our services are in um, are meeting people at a time when they're facing a challenge or a risk. Um, and that that often what we see at the core of that, among the, the factors that are impacting families who are presenting with some kind of crisis is poverty. And our service delivery is really designed to be supportive and intervention oriented, um, but really at the core of this is some uh, some real fragility around their ability to to provide for and support. And those are really systemic questions. Um, so when we think about what it is that we're advocating for when I'm representing our members and the issues that present from a regulatory or funding perspective, um, at the core of that is that we have families who have needs. Um, and many of those needs um, actually derive back to um, fundamental questions of basic needs. Um, so we talk about the social determinants of health and the pieces around environmental factors, education, um, lack of employment that provides for a living wage, um, questions of, of, of uh, diversity, of, of racial inequities, um, that that have impacted in the disparities that we have within our systems. Um, that that all of these things drive back to a question fundamentally of not just providing for a right environment for um, the delivery of service, which is core and very important in these intersystemic questions that we face, um, but it's really a question of social justice, and that um, we have a responsibility, um, and in fact, it is centered, I think, to our mission and charge and within the human services sector to be questioning how our systems can be better formed to provide for um, more equity in, in the ability for people to move forward and actually realize their full human potential, which is really ultimately what we hope for our families and for the individuals that we serve. So social determinants of health, uh, social justice are, are things that uh, I hear you say 
and I believe they're they're important factors in in terms of improving health and well-being uh, for those that exist in, in our community. Uh, what are some organizations doing specifically uh, in that space uh, to promote social justice, but also to address those larger, broader social determinants of health to improve health and well-being? So I I would say that um, that that this is there's been growing awareness when we think particularly about um, wanting to address physical and mental health as an integrated um, from a holistic perspective that so many of the pieces that feed into whether or not people are able to achieve that well-being um, are, again, these social determinants of health. So people are focusing in and thinking about questions of housing, um, for example, really central to, uh, to the ability to provide for stability for your family, housing, poverty at the core of many of our child welfare services that our, that our members are intimately involved in, um, that they are providing for foster care, but ideally providing for a resource family for those families that are struggling and recognizing that really at the core oftentimes are instabilities that are economically driven. And so how do we, how do we contribute to resolving and solving some of those and really providing for a connectedness to some of those core basic need supports? Um, it's, it, and then also being present to those, to those families to help to walk them through the moment of challenge that they're facing. Um, I'll just, you know, one of the things as we think about who who our agencies serve, I would say at any place across the life continuum, and certainly Lutheran Social Services, you all are present at every phase of life, and that we all will be touched by the need of human services, right? At some point in our life, we are going to intersect with that ecosystem of services, and that it's not about who needs and who doesn't need, it's about that we all have need, and um, ultimately we'll all we'll all uh, tap into a human service at some point. Great, thank you so much, Kathy. That concludes this round, and then in the next round we're going to drill a little bit deeper into some of the barriers and challenges that you touched upon uh, during this round. Great, thank you. Okay, round two. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. Let's go. Recently, I sat down with Susan Dreyfus, a, a, a thought leader in this space, a person you know very well, and she highlighted some of the challenges and opportunities we face in our sector. But she also expressed this, this sense of hopefulness that she had uh, for the future. And so we talked about the national imperative uh, a little bit. Um, I know that Wisconsin is working to Wisconsinize uh, the national imperative. Uh, let's start here. How are you doing that? Yeah, so thank you for that. And um, yes, yeah, Susan and I go way back. Um, and so it's really, it's a pleasure to be able to follow her in this seat. Um, and, uh, and so and to talk a little bit about the work that she really led um, and her time with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities, now Social Current. Um, put that plug in, um, and uh, with the national imperative, which was just such an important piece of work um, to talk about and really analyze the the financial health and um, and the partnerships in our sector and what we really need to move forward. And I I think that's great to hear that Susan was hopeful, and um, I would say we too are in a hopeful space. 
Um, at WAFCA, we've really been pursuing, as you said, to Wisconsinize the information. We wanted to gather our members and really talk about what was learned in the national imperative and how we saw that reflected within our own service delivery systems here in the state. And I think the things, the few things that really stood out for me when you think about some of the barriers that were identified in that report, certainly funding and financial relationships um, were, was, was one that definitely resonated for our folks that continues not surprising in that space. Um, but what really, you know, t attaches to that is some of that, what that deficit means in terms of our ability to generate high quality workforce and sustain high quality workforce, as well as um, data systems. Fundamental investments within our infrastructure as human services and, and entities. So often because of the way that we are structured, um, those those grant dollars, the, the dollars that we rely on from our government funders do not drive to that bottom line of being able to help us fund those fundamental modernizations that we need in order to really continue to deliver on the the products and services that that we we are skilled to deliver, um, but that the that society and 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 they, and technology has moved on and the expectations and our capacity to be able to track um, what it is that we do and what that value is that we deliver is really dependent on being able to keep up with that infrastructure piece. And then I would also say sort of that misperception about what human services is or a misunderstanding of what human services is and what it contributes from a social perspective. And um, that perception that we are simply charity um, or somehow only charitable entities and that um, that not recognizing sort of that fundamental value of social services within the within as a as a core component of delivering well-being for our communities. Thank you for for those insights. Uh, you talked about funding and the financial aspects that were highlighted in the imperative that are very true uh, to us in Wisconsin and the organizations in which we serve uh, workforce. Uh, data, technology, all of those things are issues we need to pay a lot of attention to. Let's focus on workforce a little bit. Uh, you know that there are some uh, turnover can be as high as 50% in some of the programs within our respective organizations. And that was pre-COVID. Uh, what has COVID done, uh, in your opinion, relating to our workforce and the challenges we have in terms of recruiting and also retaining uh, a workforce? Well, this has been a tough question for everyone, right? I mean, you look across all sectors and I will say that, you know, I make a, obviously uh, this sector is close to me. So I make the, the appeal directly about our sector and the challenges that we face that are somewhat, I would argue, unique compared to other other sectors that are also experiencing high rates of um, challenge around recruitment and retention of their workforce. Um, you know, we provide a lot of direct service. We provide a lot of service that really requires a lot of um, emotional energy. And um, because of that, I think that COVID really tapped that in a very, um, in, in, a, in a tougher way, even beyond what we were accustomed to um, in the demands that that laid on us. Because people were going through personal traumas while they were also trying to deal with the trauma of others. Um, and that was something that, you know, when you think about how, how the impact that COVID had, COVID had on every individual. Um, what I would also say is that, you know, we had workers, many of whom were in that essential space. They needed to still be present 24-7 in care environments um, or service those, those, you know, so designated essential 
but not paid as though they were essential. And so asked to still go out into, into working with folks, exposing themselves um, to the hazards of the pandemic, um, and yet not feeling like they were compensated in a way that showed that value. Um, and again, other sectors face that. I would just, you know, I'd say that at, at the core of it, when you think about some of the fundamental services that we provide, whether they be in the community or in foster care, these are not, these are not things that are optional. These are things that, that, that we as a, as a community have stepped up to say we need to provide for this. Um, so I think that's, you know, that essential element and then people coming to a recognition that um, you're telling me I'm essential, but I don't feel valued. Thank you so much for, for that perspective, Kathy. And I know that uh, part of your advocacy is really speaking very loudly about this uh, in the community with government officials. So we appreciate that because it's very important to raise the importance of our sector and our colleagues that are driving uh, great results uh, for society uh, and the people we serve. So thank you. Before we go to the next round, I just want to touch on prevention. I've heard you talk about prevention in the past. What prevention is key, um, but what are the challenges and opportunities uh, relating to prevention? Um, I'm so glad you raised prevention um, and that, that this is the space where we all hope to be in and to be in more than we are. And I think the challenge that we face around prevention primarily is that the funding has not been there to really um, to shore up the kind of um, preventative services that we know would most benefit children and families in the state. Um, we are very heavily dependent on federal resources for any of our prevention programs. Um, the state does not substantially subsidize prevention um, at this time. Uh, our local governments, when we think about our government structures, right, we are very, we're a county-based system for our service delivery, so we're also dependent on county levy, and those resources are, um, are capped. And uh, the counties are restricted in how much they can derive in terms of revenue. So we find ourselves sort of at a, at a, at a difficult point um, where you also then are left with some disparities around what can be done in various regions of the states. State. Some places do have more prevention services than others. And um, I think that, that that inequity and disparities is another piece that because of the design of our systems, that really is stark in Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Kathy. That concludes uh, round two. We got one more round to go. In round three, uh, we want to address how we can improve uh, outcomes through partnerships, innovation, as well as policy. Round three, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, Kathy, in what ways are you seeing public-private uh, partnerships forming to address the community's needs, and how are those relationships ultimately improving outcomes? So I will say um, the, the example that comes to mind for me in this space is really in our school-based mental health programming. Um, there has really just been an exponential increase in the um, service delivery that's been made available through these public-private partnerships. Um, so for so long, I will say when I started, I've been with WAFCA for 15 years. When I started, um, really our primary intersect partner was counties, um, and increasingly so it is schools. 
um, that our members are working with directly to provide for those mental health services for individual children when they're identified with that level of need. Um, and this has been a really important development. And it's and it certainly is moving nationally, but I'm particularly um, proud when I look across the country at what Wisconsin is accomplishing in the school-based mental health space and how our members have stepped up to that challenge and that responsibility. Again, it's not an easy space to fund um, and we're relying on insurance and Medicaid uh, to to cover those services for those children that need um, that level of care. Um, but having that delivery available through school makes it so much more convenient for families and so much more likely that children will attach to a service and actually receive the services that they need. Thank you for bringing up uh, school-based mental health. As you know, LSS is in that space and we think it's a great program. Tell us a little bit more about, should the funding model change? Uh, you mentioned that right now, it's just about reimbursement, but how could the funding model change? And what does school-based mental health do that maybe some other programs cannot do? Oh, so um, there, yes, there should be some change in the funding model in part because they are, they're not sustainable um, as, on, as a billable service. Um, fundamentally, what's, what's needed in those, in those school spaces uh, is true partnership and the ability for those therapists to work directly to support the administration and the teaching staff in being able to take those strategies that they're working on with children in their therapy sessions and bring them forward, um, not only to the teachers and the staff, but to their families as well, of course. So being able to engage their parents. We're, we are fortunate in the state that we do have some ability to get some reimbursement for those consultations with family and with the schools. But ultimately, um, that service will work most effectively if we're able to be truly integrated into the school service system and um, to be able to really support those parents in carrying forward what's happening and what's being learned um, through that therapeutic service at school. Um, and so billable hour does not get it done um, because that's um, there's so much of that work that falls outside of um, being able to um, bill for that time. Also, schools run on a different schedule than our agencies do, right? So traditionally, we employed therapists for 12 months a year, right? And schools are not in session 12 months a year. And so figuring out how to fill that gap is also a challenge. Um, and finally, we don't have good, we don't have funding mechanisms for peers and for other supportive um, service staff. So for coaching, for other supportive services that don't require a therapist, but that can be really helpful to families um, to be able to do some psychoeducation, be present to the families in their home and carry some of that back. And we don't have a mechanism for paying for that. So again, something that provides for a more comprehensive reimbursement um, and recognition of that relationship. Thank you so much. And the insight of involving persons with lived experience, that peer and getting them involved. We know that the research shows that uh, good outcomes result uh, when we do that. Uh, thank you uh, mm -hmm. for that insight. How about mergers and acquisitions? I talked a little bit about this with, with Susan uh, on the national, her perspective on a national level, but share with us a little bit about your thoughts, challenges, opportunities, specifically as it relates to organizations in Wisconsin. So I would say, you know, Wisconsin has not as much as some of our national other states, you know, as you look across the country, um, been 
had that same level of movement towards larger, bigger, more diversified human services organizations. I think in part that is due to being a county-based system state. We don't have, you know, there's a handful of states across the country that are have their human services fundamentally delivered through their counties um, with 72 separate counties, you know, separate contracting, separate relationships. Um, I think that it actually um, supports uh, the the retention of more community-based local agency partners, which may not be the most efficient in the, the part of on the part of serving our our families ultimately and ultimately providing for those um, services across the state and making sure that we have access to services in every region of the state. You have real pockets across the state that are do not have a full continuum of service, and we we are not as efficient as we could be with our revenues when we think about um, you know, what, uh, what could be done with some of the resources that we have because we are so um, fragmented on some level. Um, so there's, there's room for growth. And I would say that's a hopeful space um, where we could get to more specialization, but also reduce some of, um, some of the inefficiencies that exist right now both from um, within, you know, our, our 72 split county system, um, as well as across our agencies that, um, you know, to to bring more mergers and acquisitions together, to have more of those relationships form. Um, I would also say a space where we've seen some of that here has been um, with agencies merging into our healthcare systems. Um, so that has been one space. And I think there was a sense um, at some point that that would, that would, become more of a trend. And I would say that it's it has happened here, but it has not become widespread. And in fact, more often, perhaps we see healthcare systems that are looking and considering how they're engaging these questions of social determinants of health, um, trying to grow those pieces themselves. And um, I think one of the things that messages that I hear from our members is they are looking for ways to be better partners with the healthcare system, um, to be able to be part of an integrated um, package of services and that we have specialty to bring to that work um, that we would really like to see um, recognized in partnership with them more. Thank you, Kathy. I, I never really thought about how our 72-county system here in the state of Wisconsin could impede our ability to have more robust mergers and acquisitions, but how you describe that uh, makes sense. Uh, so thank you uh, for that insight. What policy change do you believe could be a game changer for us in Wisconsin? So there are uh, there are a few pieces on this front that I think um, from our advocacy uh, that I think really would move Wisconsin forward. Um, one piece I would say is Medicaid expansion. Um, Wisconsin has not taken up Medicaid expansion, and I do think that that is a space where um, increased access uh, to those federal revenues that that would derive for us um, would be a huge benefit. Um, I would also say that, um, that uh, again, this is a funding change less than a policy change, but really making the decision that we're going to, as a state, robustly invest in our preventive services. We know that we, um, the reality is ultimately, there's likely enough funding in the system uh, when we think about what we spend on intensive services, on acute services for children and families, um, that there's enough funny money to make to to um, to if we could take it and shift it. But that's not the way that you shift a system. We have to double invest 
we need to put some investment in prevention in order for us to realize that win, that return on investment in the long run. Um, so I think putting some additional dollars towards that, recognizing um, and paying our workforce in a way that helps us um, sustain and grow and really further professionalize um, some of our areas, particularly in the direct care workforce, um, would be huge for us in the state. Thank you so much, Kathy. I, I just have one last question. How are you knocking out personally as well as professionally 2022? Well, I have to say, so probably, <laughs> probably everybody would answer this way that they're hope we are hopeful that we are past the COVID peak at this point. Um, I'm really looking forward um, to getting back out and doing some more volunteering this year um, and getting some new things engaged in. My kids have uh, now grown and aged out of school. So there's a lot of, I have some space in my, in my uh, day and in my um, schedule to be able to pick up some more things. So I'm looking forward to, um, to diving into some new volunteer opportunities this year, um, uh, as well as getting back out on the road and doing some running. I, I, I set it aside during the winter a little bit, but uh, want to get back out there. That's great, Kathy. Maybe you and I can do some running by the lakefront and uh, get back in, in shape so that we can make sure we can do the work that we do, which is so challenging. So I uh, I welcome that opportunity to do that with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I want to, you know, I'll run behind, Hector. I'll run behind. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. That concludes our, our final round. We are so blessed to have you as a great leader in the state of Wisconsin. I'm so blessed uh, to have you as a personal friend. And so thank you so much for being on the show with me here today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Some highlights that I'd like to address um, from the insights that we received from Kathy, thank you so much, Kathy. You know, she talked about the need to have a belief in family. Family creates the structure for our children um, to succeed in life. Healthy relationships, we all require healthy relationships to ultimately improve our health and well-being. Collaboration, we can't do any of this alone. Poverty and the systemic issues that really prevent us from reaching our full potential. Financial health is something that our sector struggles with. And so we have to find creative ways, such as mergers and acquisitions, to help us um, uh, scale and provide more efficiencies so that we have more resources, so that we can not only survive, but thrive uh, as an organization. Mergers and acquisitions, she talked about uh, you know, gave us an insight that maybe it is our 72-county approach that inhibits our ability to have more robust mergers and acquisitions in the state of Wisconsin. You know, expansion of Title 19 so that we can have more services available for the people we serve and prevention. All great insights that will really help all of us in our sector do better for more people. So next month, I'll get into the ring with Tracy Waring-Evans from the American Public Human Services Association, who will dig deeper into modernizing policies to address systemic barriers. You can find out more about In the Ring with Hector Colon and all of our episodes on our website, lsswis.org slash in the ring. Let us know what you think about the show and what if you have any ideas for future shows. Like, follow, and share 
at LSSWIS on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any of these great conversations we will be having this year. All right. Thank you, Kathy. That concludes our show. We are so appreciative to have you here once again. Thank you. Con mucho cariño. Bye.